Well, good evening. Good to see everybody. And if you did not pick up an outline, make sure you pick it up. There are some at the table over there and over here. And uh, those of you who are watching, uh, you don't see me right now, but I'm here. I promise you. And we are glad that we are glad that you're all here. We're we're in this room. Uh, Lori, how much longer are we in this room? Three more weeks. Three more weeks. Okay. So three more weeks. So the book of Philippians is where we are tonight. Great to see some of you. Glad that you feel uh, comfortable to come back and be with us as we continue to look at this wonderful, great, great uh, letter of Paul the Apostle to the church at Philippi. You forgive me here. Let me get myself arranged. Now Ricky told me last week I should not wear white shirts because they blend in and I'm faded right into the brick. So here I am. Is this better now? Does this, can you all see me? Okay. Alright. So Philippians 2 is where we're going to be tonight. And we're going to really spend our time on the first five verses. Uh, we've done some work already together. And those of you who are joining us, God bless you for being with us. May the Lord bless you. We miss you. We pray that you can be with us when you can. And for those of you who join us from other places and you uh, send us the word sometimes, we're glad to have you. And may the Lord bless you. Uh, let's begin with prayer and let's, uh, let's just pause and as we do each week, uh, perhaps someone's on your heart today, something's, uh, uh, someone you know, a friend, a relative, someone uh, that needs prayer. We, we obviously have those that are listed on Watchman Prayer and many others. But let's just pause for a moment and pray and present these people to the Lord. So, Heavenly Father, it is good for us to have, um, during the midweek, a chance to be together as Your people. We're so thankful for the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord that saves us so that we might have joy and peace in a world of sadness and brokenness and anger and godlessness. We thank You, Lord, for the sounds of boys and girls and students and all of our other adult uh, Bible study teachers, it's time in the Word. We thank You for our church. We thank You for the opportunity we have to do our part to make disciples as You've called us to do and commanded us to do. May You be pleased with what we are doing and show us Your purposes and will if we need to do something that we're not doing. We now come before You and present that person that's on our heart tonight to You. We present them to You. We ask that Your will would be done in their lives. We ask that You would do whatever You have to do to draw them to Yourself and to give them strength and encouragement. If they're sick, we pray that they might be strengthened and be strong again. We pray that if they're discouraged and in despair, that they might experience the comfort of God by the Holy Spirit. May they sense and know that we are praying for them, that we love them, whoever they are, stranger, neighbor uh, or family member, whoever they are, young or old alike, we present them to You. We thank You that we can come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who has given us access to You that You might hear our prayers. And we thank You, Lord Jesus, for being our great High Priest. We come to the throne of grace for mercy and help in our needs. We always have needs. We always have needs. So we come to You always and we're so thankful You are our High Priest interceding for us and we come to the throne of grace. So may now You take the Word of God and our fellowship in the Word and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher challenge us with some truth from these words of Paul to his friends at the Philippian church and we thank You Lord that they, these inspired words speak to us even in our day about our relationships with one another in the church here in Dixon. And may you be pleased with what we speak about tonight and that you would help me as I uh, talk with our brothers and sisters about these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's read first of all uh, together and get our minds around this. We're only going to look at the verse, first five verses, uh, but I will read through verse number 11. Very familiar verses to most of us. Uh, therefore, if, if, therefore, 
If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of Your Word, and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, here are some of the highlights from the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, in verse number 1 of uh, chapter 1, verse number 6, excuse me, we learned that the first principle we talked about together was that God works in the church to accomplish his purpose of salvation. He does it in each of us individually, but He does it with all of us together. So this is what's happening to us all. It's a famous verse. Most of you in this room, many of you have quoted it, you've talked to others about it, you've encouraged them about it in their own spiritual growth. <clears throat> Here it is, Paul says, For I am, con con I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That's both true for you individually as a believer, but it's also true for us as a church. This is God's purpose here for us, is that through the church He is to accomplish His purposes of sharing the gospel, of, of, the, of the work of God being done in us. It is this wonderful work of justifying us, making us holy, and then one day taking us to heaven. So it is this wonderful, wonderful experience of God finishing the work that He starts in us when He saves us. And so He's still working on every one of us. He's still working on us. He's working on us. And He's working on these things in our church together. So we spent a lot of time on that. Secondly, we went to verse number 12. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12. This was the second section where Paul gives his personal testimony and report to the church. Am I doing something wrong here? Am I alright? I haven't broken anything. Okay, good. All right. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So secondly, we learned that God uses, hope you're listening tonight, God uses all the circumstances in our life in order to advance the gospel. You see, the whole point is uh, we don't just get saved. We're not saved so that we can just be happy people. This seems to be a common challenge in the American church. Salvation is all for me. Salvation makes me happy. Salvation gives me peace. Salvation gives me forgiveness. Uh, as if it's the center. It is the glory of God to save sinners. Think about it. It is the glorious, it is the most glorious, it is an amazing, glorious fact that God would save a sinner. Does anybody agree with that in here? I know how glorious it is that God would save me in my sinfulness and my wickedness. It is the great glory of God to save sinners. And that's what Paul said, of whom I am the foremost. And any of us who have really thought about our life before we knew Christ know how wicked we were and the way we lived and how godless we were. And it is the great glory of God that He saves us. So the point of it is, what are you going through tonight? Think about it. This is, if you're a believer tonight, think about this. Can you say, do you understand what Paul is saying is true for you? I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, 
that my circumstances, we all got them in here, room filled with circumstances. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now that to me is greatly encouraging. And that's what's happening in your life. You say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. No, you're a believer in Christ, and your job is to tell other people about Jesus Christ wherever you go. Right here in Dixon, right in the surrounding area, we are, to, we are to advance the gospel. We're to share the gospel, as we repeatedly have talked about on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, again, reminding us the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Praise God, it is the gospel. And so it is that your circumstances... See, remember, Paul's in jail writing this letter. He's in jail. So perhaps Paul could have said to the Lord, Lord, I thought you were going to send me all of these places. I thought I was going to go all these places and do all of this work, and here I am sitting in jail. But he discovers, I hope you've discovered, that your current circumstances God uses to advance the gospel. That's very important. Third, we saw last week that Paul came back and he talked about this. Well, he does mention to us that great, uh, great truth in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 21. Famous verse, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we talked about that great thing of the two bests that make the, the two betters that make the best. He says, I, I'm hard-pressed, verse 23 of chapter 1. I, I'm hard-pressed between a better to stay here and minister uh, the gospel, but I also want to go and be with the Lord. The two betters that make the best. Either way you go. When you're walking with God, my dear friends, when you're walking with God, when you're living your life in relationship to God as you ought to, and the gospel is the primary focus of your life, uh, you, are, you are pressed between two good things, better things, but they both make the best. And we talked about those uh, spiritual desires. Then in 27, we saw that the believer's life must honor the gospel of Christ. Does your life, I'm talking about your lifestyle right now, I'm trying to, I'm getting in your business, I'm your pastor. It's my job to get in your business. You don't like it when I get in your business, but that's okay. You get over it. Is your lifestyle honoring the gospel? The way you live, as I mentioned to you, my dear friend, uh, the old preacher that taught me so much, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Well, what are you living for? What's the focus of your life today? It is either on self-centered things that don't matter. By the way, they don't last. We know that. Uh, or on the wonderful, glorious truth of the gospel. And so, believers must live a life that honors the gospel. And what was the verse? It's verse number 27. Only conduct yourselves. By the way, these are plurals. I said to you uh, when we first started, Paul would be a great southerner. All of these... Uh, use, all these use, they're all plurals. Y'all. So you can read it that way. Y'all. Only y'all conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it's plural. You all. All of us as God's people. First Baptist Church Dixon. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Am I living a life? Am I honoring God? And am I honoring the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved me by the way I'm living? Or have I gone back to carnality? Have I gone back to wickedness? Uh, have I gone back to uh, uh, putting myself first and making myself the priority of all things? So, so we come then tonight to the second challenge uh, to the church that uh, Paul gives them. Uh, he says here in these verses, as we just read in verses 1 through 5, this is a continuation of what he's been talking about in these verses that we just read. Only conduct yourselves in a manner, let's review it for those of you who weren't with us, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come or whether I am absent, I, I will hear that you are, look at this, number one, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, 
striving together for the faith of the gospel. What we're going to look at tonight is going to sound very familiar. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. For to you it has been granted in, for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but also to suffer for His sake. So there is in this, how do we conduct ourselves in a worthy manner of the gospel? Well, we stand firm for the gospel in a wicked day. We stand for the truth of God's Word. We stand on the truth of the gospel regardless of what it costs us. Uh, we, we stand firm in one spirit and we have one mind in our commitment to the gospel and doing this and we strive together for the faith of the gospel. We, we work together to advance the gospel. And we don't live in fear. I, I belabored this point last week, but why is it we're so afraid today? Really, truly, what is it that you're afraid of? Why would the church be afraid? Why is it that we seem to be so afraid and so easy to compromise? Well, uh, don't be alarmed by your opponents. We will have opponents. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus Christ, as I tried to say Sunday morning, with some burden in my heart, the world hates Jesus Christ and they will hate you if you follow Jesus Christ. Just accept it. You know, this, this matter of the church trying to be like the world so that the world be happy with us. I'm not trying to please the world. I don't care what the world thinks. I care what the Lord Jesus thinks, don't you? That's what matters. So Lord, when you look at my life, do you see me as a compromiser? Because I'm afraid. Well, I'm afraid somebody won't think well of me. Well, I'm afraid somebody will call me a name. Well, I'm afraid... So what are you afraid of? Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. This is what the church does when we live in a matter that men are worthy of the gospel. It doesn't mean that we get we are brutal with people or rude because we're to give our we're to give an account of the hope that's in us with uh, with the right kind of spirit, gentleness and the right kind of way. We don't have to be all upset. We just simply say, Jesus saves. Here's my life. Here's what's happened. And you can be saved too. You haters of God. You can be saved too. I once hated God. I once rebelled against God. But I am saved now. And you can be saved and have a real life instead of your miserable pretend life. Well, I'm about to get going. So, you see, don't be alarmed by your opponents. You see, those who oppose the gospel, it is a sign of their destruction. This is very important. People who oppose the gospel are going to go to hell and be judged. But for us, Paul says in verse 28, it is our salvation. For this is the other thing. Oh, Pastor Mike, I don't want to suffer as a Christian. Well, it's a gift to be able to suffer for the gospel. It's a gift. It's granted. Look at the word. For to you all, y'all, church, it has been, Philippian church, it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to suffer for His sake. And then he draws a conclusion. Isn't Paul good at conclusions? This group in here knows about therefores, right? When Paul gives a therefore, he's drawing a conclusion. So it comes now to this very important subject that I want us to talk about tonight. And it is this. The focus is this, that believers must live in humility of mind like Jesus Christ. So tonight we talk about humble-mindedness. Next week we talk about the humble-mindedness of our Lord, who is our model and example. But tonight, Paul lays it out in this order. He first of all appeals to the church to be humble-minded. To be humble-minded people. God's people are to be humble-minded people. Uh, we, are to, we are to be known as humble-minded people. So. When you read these first uh, verses, look at verse 1. So therefore, if... This is, these, uh, these phrases are in a form that you can actually read it this way. Since there is uh, encouragement in Christ. Since there is uh, comfort or consolation of love. Since there is fellowship of the Spirit. And since there is affection and compassion. 
So I want us to see, first of all, there are three, three ways I want you to look at these verses tonight. Well, four. I've got them there on the outline. When believers live to honor the gospel, they live in spiritual unity. So this is a following theme from what he's been talking about, living worthy of the gospel. Secondly, Paul's joy would be complete if the church would live in humility of mind with one another. Uh, secondly, uh, thirdly, believers live to honor the gospel when they live in humility of mind like Jesus Christ. And finally, believers live like Jesus when they have an attitude of humility. And then we'll draw some conclusions on the back and we'll be on our way. So let's come back to this now and look at these uh, four qualities uh, that uh, we share together as believers, alright? This is really important. Paul is trying to uh, connect the Philippians in their minds together about what they share. We have such a Lone Ranger, uh, independent uh, uh, idea of, because we, of the country in which we're born. We forget that in Christ we're all connected in this room. You are now part of the family of God. We are all adopted children of God, so we might as well get happy with each other for it's eternity that we will be together. You might get rid of that old grumpy uncle you don't like when he dies, but you can't get rid of me. I'll be with you forever. My point is, is that we share wonderful things together in Christ, and we need to think about them. We need to understand these because you know what? These very things describe the essence of what it means to be God's people. This is why people are drawn to be Christians when they get around believers who live like Christians, who act like Christians, who have the emotions of a Christian. They're drawn to it. Think about it tonight. Some of these dear children that, that come, and we're not doing it as much right now as we've done in the past when Ken could drive the bus. Think about these dear bus children who come, who have, their home is a, is a, is a virtual hell on earth. They come here and it's totally different. There are students out there tonight doing whatever they're doing outside in the rain or whatever Tim's got them out there doing in the barn. Uh... This is the place they come where there's something of love and support and encouragement. Maybe some of you grew up in that environment. You went to church because at home it just wasn't there. But God blessed you by allowing you to be a part of a church. That's what this church does. It happens with adults who come among us and they come to our Bible studies or we minister to them, whatever it is. My point is, we share these things I'm about to talk about. This is what Paul's saying. If there is any encouragement in Christ. Uh, parakletos, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. The helper, the encourager, the encourager. I gave you this one passage because it's so familiar to you. Look, you're saved and the Holy Spirit of God is your constant encourager. Do you know that? See, these I'm talking about things that are real for every believer. The sad thing about it is if you're a person and you're saved and you're in Christ, but you do not know how to draw on the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, you need to grow in your spiritual life. Because one of the sweetest and most wonderful things is that as we read God's Word, as we pray, the Holy Spirit of God is our encourager. He encourages us. He tells us to keep going. He supports us. Yes, He helps us. Yes, He teaches us. Yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us. But He encourages us. Is there anybody in this room who doesn't need encouragement? Well, if you say no, you're lying. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody here needs encouragement to keep going, to not stop, to don't quit. Since there is encouragement in Christ, maybe the way Paul could read it for us. So, since God gives encouragement in Christ, live in unity. We all share the encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, here it is. Are you ready? Why would we discourage each other then? It makes no sense. Except when there's some other things we're going to see lacking in our life because we lack humble-mindedness. Now, you've got to stay with me tonight. This all builds. I'm trying to build this case the way Paul made it here. First, we share something together. 
We have all, we have all been baptized into the Holy Spirit when we were saved. We've been filled with the Spirit of God. He now possesses you. You are a possessed one of God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are possessed by God, by the Holy Spirit of God. This is a phenomenal truth. It's either a lie or it's real. So as I'm saved and as you're saved, I'm talking to brothers and sisters, those of you listening to us, if you're saved, you, you, you now have the privilege and the joy of constant encouragement from the Holy Spirit. The world is a discouraging place, isn't it? And sometimes the church, I'm, you know, I'm trying to stay on my track here, is a discouraging place. Sometimes First Baptist is a discouraging place. Shouldn't be. It's not the way God intended for it to be. This is why Paul's pushing and exhorting and challenging the Philippian church. As much as he loved them, he's pushing now about their unity in Christ because they share these things in common. Second, since God gives... I read from the New American Standard, since if there is any consolation, that's a good word. We don't use it a lot. It's the same word for comfort. Uh, since, there is, since there is consolation of love, boy, there's nothing like being loved to comfort you. The comfort of love. And I, I remind you here of these wonderful words from, and I've, I've printed them here to save you from having to turn, because you're the most spoiled people I've ever seen in my life. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us. He comforts us. Believers, He's writing to the Corinthian church. I'm speaking to this church. He comforts us in all our afflictions, even though our afflictions are different, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Go through and underline how many times Paul uses the word comfort there. God comforts, I'm comforted, so I can comfort. This is the pattern. This is what we share in, in common. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, listen, so also is our comfort abundant through Christ. So we share uh, encouragement. Since God gives encouragement in Christ, live in unity. Since God gives consolation of love in Christ, live in unity. Third, since God gives fellowship of the Spirit in Christ, live in unity. Well, here we are in this uh, phenomenal statement about the fellowship we share in the Holy Spirit. I said it before, we're all possessed by the Holy Spirit in this room who are saved. All of us. Unless you're grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit because you've gone back to carnal living. The Holy Spirit is still there, but He's grieved and quenched when we sin as believers and we're not living as we ought to. He intends for us to be Spirit-filled believers. He's, he intends for us to live as Spirit-filled men and women in this world. Think about it. Not a temple anymore in one place. Now He fills all of His people individually. It's a marvelous Incredible thought. That's how the Lord expands Himself all around the world through each of us. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But also, we all share spiritual gifts. We talked about this a number of weeks ago, um, years ago, excuse me. Uh, also, when people join our church, we still uh, ask them to complete a spiritual gift assessment so that we help them discover what are their spiritual gifts. I hope you're here tonight as a believer and you know what your spiritual gifts are. If you don't, we need to help you with that. And we can. So I'm quoting here from 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul says, there are a variety of spiritual gifts. And in this room, there are a variety of spiritual gifts. I'm exercising a spiritual gift tonight to preach and to teach the Word of God. So, okay, But the same Spirit, multiple gifts in here, multiple spiritual gifts, uh, and there are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects, in other words, results of our work, and the same God who works all things in all persons. The Holy Spirit of God is working in all of our lives, at the same time equipping all of us in order to advance the gospel, 
in order for us to disciple people and to do our work. And it takes all of us. We share the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, not only in encouragement, not only in the wonderful comfort that He gives us. I could have quoted uh, for you from Romans chapter, you know, chapter 5, where the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How wonderful that is. When you're at your lowest moment, when you're at your lowest moment and you go to God in prayer, the Holy Spirit of God pours out the love of God in your heart. He assures you, you are loved by God regardless of what you're going through. I'm talking about the normal Christian life here. I'm not talking about some extraordinary thing that only a few have. This is the way God intends to work in our lives. Finally, since God gives Christ-like affection and compassion for others, live in unity. If you're saved, you will love God's people. That's what 1 John's all about. I remember preaching on uh, uh, for a while on 1 John on loving the brethren. I had a person uh, follow me down the hall and say, Why are you preaching on loving the brethren? I said, Because some people don't. That's why. It was almost like they were offended. Don't be offended. If you're saved, you love God's people. Now look around. You've got to love the people in this room. And some of them might be hard to love. You're looking at one? Yes, but that's your job, isn't it? So we have the affection of Christ. Look at Paul's words. We've read it already. Chapter 1, verse 8. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you ever think about other Christians like that? Or are you just aggravated with them all the time? Because they're not like you. They don't do what you want. The affection that we should have for one another ought to be real. It is the affection and compassion that God has shown to us. And also Colossians 3.12. So also, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on kindness. Notice, put on humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the quality of what it means to be a Christ-like follower and to also live in spiritual unity. So Paul, so Paul says here, since there is encouragement in Christ and consolation of love in Christ, a fellowship in the Spirit and affection and compassion, he calls us to understand that we honor the gospel when we live in spiritual unity because of all we share. So when I know Jesus Christ, it changes me from a self-centered person to a God and other centered person, focused person. My, my commitment anymore is not to myself and uh, the way I was brought up and born in the world. You know, every child we have, all our grandkids, great-grandkids, and all of our children, all were born as selfish sinners. They always want everything and they're not going to share. But when you get saved, you lose that in your life and you begin to put others first as you put God first. Secondly, uh, Paul talks about his joy having been their pastor, their leader, the one who started with them. He says, verse 2, make my joy complete. So tonight I give you a little secret about how pastors feel when the church isn't united. Shall I do that? I'll, I'll use the Word of God to do it. Because probably the best of these verses is Hebrews 13, 17. So it is the responsibility of a pastor, so I am a bishop, I'm an overseer. Uh, my job is to watch. Sometimes people will come tell me things like they need to tell me, did you know? And you know, I'm not going to say whether I know or not, but my job is to watch. To watch your spiritual condition. To pray for where you are. To pray for the people of our church because I have to give account Real accountability is on me as the pastor of this church to answer to God for my years here and how well or not well you did in advancing and growing in grace. That's, that's on me, not on you. That's on me. So as overseer, I watch over your soul. That's the concern I have. How is your soul? How are your souls? How are the people 
it's hard for us to keep up with everybody. That's why our deacons help do ministry. That's why we have our associate pastors. That's why we have our teachers. We, we, we put together a team of people who have their gifts. Are you listening to me? So that we take care of watching for our people and their souls. It's not just about, hey, are you coming to church? No. That's part of it. But it's the condition of their soul. So, when you see Paul talking here, Paul's saying these things in verse 1 because he says, I want to have complete joy because you are living with humility in your minds toward one another. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls <clears throat> as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there are not times when I am grieved by the behavior of people in our church toward one another. I'm, I'm, it is grievous when our people are not focused on the gospel, when our people are not focused on holiness and growing in Christ's likeness, and when our people have no desire for the Word of God, and this has become just kind of a club where you show up and see your buddies. It's a grievous thing when there are uh, disruptions among us because people of their pride and their arrogance and their unwillingness to submit to one another. It's a grievous thing. Uh, and the reason why I believe Paul says this in Hebrews 13, let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. A, a grieved pastor doesn't do doesn't focus on the things he must focus on because he has to spend time on this, on this matter of getting people together. Paul's going to get more specific about it. Over in uh, chapter 4, he's got to talk to two women who worked with him in the gospel. I'm not picking on women here. Don't get mad at me. I'm reading the Word of God. Okay, it could be men. It just happens to be women in this particular case. He talks about Yodia and Syntyche. And he says, live in harmony. And I say to some of you, and you listening, and everybody who's going to hear this, live in harmony as God's people at First Baptist Church and share the gospel. Let's get on with it and quit our silliness. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 2.3. This is the very thing. Here's Paul again to another church. This is the very thing I wrote to you. So that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. The saddest thing to me is to see those who know better in the church how they ought to live to not live the way they ought to toward others. That's a, now, it's one thing when somebody's just saved and they're learning. They don't know exactly how it works, but it's a pitiful thing. When somebody who knows the Word of God, who understands these things, to act in selfishness toward others and hurtful ways. That's what Paul's saying about the Corinthians. Having confidence in you all that my joy would be joy would be the joy of you all. Philippians 4.1 Therefore, my beloved, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. That's what a pastor's joy is. The, the, the crown is to see God's people growing and developing into Christ's likeness. Uh, for you are our glory and joy. That's what pastors care about. They're not doing this for some other reason. The purpose of it is so that they might see. The greatest joy is to see believers in Jesus Christ grow in grace. I love what John said, 3 John 1.4. I have no greater joy than this. This is my testimony as your pastor. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that you are walking in the truth. All of you. That you're walking in the truth. Third, uh, believers live to honor the gospel when they live in humility of mind like Jesus Christ. So let's think about this matter of humble-mindedness. He goes on to describe it. Make my joy complete by basically saying, being humble-minded like Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's look at these eight qualities. They're, they're pretty self-explanatory. I thought about, well, I'd go in and give you all the Greek words. and I, There's no reason for that. It's very simple. So what does it mean, Pastor Mike, to be humble-minded? I'm glad you asked. 
It is same-mindedness. It is minds that are the same. We have same-mindedness. Notice it, my friends, by being of the same mind. What did he say earlier? He said in 27, I read it to you, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving for the gospel. See, what is it that we are focused on together? It's interesting sometimes, you know, you take a poll of the people in the church, what their mind is on, what the church ought to do. The church ought to advance the gospel. That's the one thing. That's the goal. The church ought to be advancing the gospel and making disciples. Guess what? That's what the Lord told us to do. That's the mind we have to have. That's what ought to be at the center of what we do. Humble-mindedness is same-mindedness. You see, when each of us have our own mind about it, there comes to be arrogance, party spirit. We divide up. We think this is the best thing, that's the best thing. No, same-mindedness brings a humility to us because we share in common our common purpose, and that is to advance the gospel. Humble-mindedness maintains. And I like the way it reads here uh, in uh, the New American Standard. And this is accurate to the, to the, to the uh, Greek word, maintaining. There's a maintenance that has to go on among us. And it comes with humble-mindedness. It is a maintaining of mutual love for each other. So I got a main, you got to, okay, let's use it, you, me on, you on, to me. You got to maintain mutual love for me when I'm acting like a rascal. When I'm uncooperative. When I am uh, not living like I should. When I am uh, going through some kind of uh, situation in my life. Now you can just flip it to whoever you want. Well, we used to be friends at church. And I always say to people, so why aren't you now? Well, you know, things happen. Well, what happened? You got mad? What'd you get mad for? If you start asking that question, well, well you know, it's just better for me not to talk about it. Uh, well, everybody in town, look, Dixon's too little. Everybody already knows anyway, by the way. <laughs> they already know. You can't get away with anything in this town. Or in this county. It was somewhere the other day, out on the edges you know, of the county, and I don't know what I was even doing. And somebody came up to me and asked me about somebody. I said, how in the world do you know that person? Oh, well, they're my cousin. It's like, oh, my soul. I ain't even going to go there. Humble-mindedness is same-mindedness. Humble-mindedness maintains <clears throat> mutual love for one another. I love you and you love me in an agape way. And we know what that is, don't we? That is without any conditions. Love is patient, kind. 1 Corinthians 13 love. Humble-mindedness unites in, unites in spirit. It unifies us in spirit. Remember we talked about this whole idea of spirit. Paul said it earlier, 27. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind. It is fortitude. It is our spirit. Is your spirit beat down? Well, the humble-minded unite in spirit. We come around each other because of our encouragement, consolation, fellowship, and Christ-likeness. We, we, we have this about us. When we're humble-minded, we're united. People will draw close to us. And that leads us to this idea of intent on one purpose. We have a single purpose to glorify God in our bodies and to advance the gospel. So men or women here, moms, grandparents, wherever you are in life, our purpose as followers of Jesus is not so you can live your life and be happy and sit back and say, boy, isn't it wonderful all the things I have. No, it is to advance. It's to, it's to strain and labor so that the gospel is shared in our part of the world until Jesus comes or until we're gone. And oh, by the way, humble-mindedness does nothing out of selfishness. I like the way it reads here. Did you see it? Do nothing from selfishness. Maybe that could be the theme of a sermon some Sunday. Here's the topic for today. 
Here's the focal truth for today. Do nothing from selfishness. That has a lot of implications. Has a lot of implications for the church. Has a lot of implications for my family, for my marriage, for my relationships at work. You see, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, when I remove selfishness, humility, humility comes to take the place. These are, these are important matters. So tonight, ask yourself, are you living in selfishness? Humble, you won't be humble if you're selfish. Selfish people are not humble people. In fact, next point, uh, humble-mindedness does nothing out of pride. Paul breaks it down here and says both. Do nothing from selfishness or, notice, empty conceit. Pride is like wind. There's nothing in it. There's no substance in it. Empty conceit. Surely you're not living in conceit tonight. That you're the best, you're the smartest, you're the special one. No, we all share everything together in Christ. You're no different from the rest of us. We're all in this together. We're joined and united in a body. How can the toe say, I don't need you? Remember Paul talked about all this. Every part of the body is important. None is more superior than the other. Humble-mindedness regards others as more important than themselves. Now we're about to climb the ladder here. If I really want to see whether I'm self-centered and filled with empty conceit and pride, here's the question. Who goes first, me or everybody else? Who goes first, me or everybody else? Regard others as more important than yourself. Regard others. Everybody in this room besides yourself is more important than you. If I start there, it helps me with humility. By the way, if you say that, you'll see if you have pride. You'll see if pride pops up. Wait a minute. Everybody's more important to me? Yep, pretty much. Finally, humble-minded people look out for the interests of others. Now, i got to clarify this. This doesn't mean to be nosy. Now, sometimes in the church, we've got nosy people. Paul did say, mind your own business. You know, that is in, the, in Paul's letters. Did you all know that? There's a difference between looking out for their interests. See, looking out. You see if they're in danger. You see if something's coming. You, you work to try to encourage them, but you don't get nosy. Nosiness is not godliness. Nosiness is a form of pride because you want to know something. Why do you... It's like the... Uh, Dear, dear lady years ago, who was a deacon's wife, she said that people would come and want to tell her things, and she'd say, well, why are you telling me that? Which is a great question. Why are you telling me that? When someone would come and share a little information. You see, if you're nosy because you want information, you've got sin in your life. Apparently, you don't have enough to do to study your Bible and to take care of yourself. You've got to get in everybody else's business. This happens in the church. This happens in this church. Getting in people's business. When you have no business in their business. That's different from looking out for the interests of others when we're burdened with someone and their spiritual condition and what they're going through. I know some of you want me to finish up. i got one minute left. You're wanting to turn that page, but I'm staying here. If you keep turning the page, I'm going to keep grinding on this. Finally, believers live like Jesus Christ when they have the attitude of humility. Have this attitude in yourselves. I'm saying it to you tonight and to myself. Have this attitude. All of this humble-minded attitude in yourselves. It was in the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll glorify and praise the Lord for it next week. Believers are united to Christ and to each other by the Holy Spirit. Believers share the blessings of God's grace in Christ. Believers' mutual commitment to the gospel advances the gospel. There is no greater joy for a pastor than when God's people live in humility of mind toward God and one another. Notice I didn't say there's, there's no greater joy for the pastor than when the whole church is filled with people. No. It's not a crowd. 
It's not a crowd. It's not people showing up. It's the way God's people live in humility toward God and one another. Believers must focus most on others and last or least on themselves. Do you do that? Believers watch out for the spiritual condition of their brothers and sisters in Christ. You say to your friends and your neighbors, how's your soul? That's what you ask them. How's your soul? How are you spiritually? How's your soul? And believers kill pride and selfishness every day. So what does Peter say? Clothe yourself with humility. Put it on, folks, like a garment. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God is opposed to the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you and maintain a humble spirit. How did Peter sum it up? To sum it up, all of you, all of us, here's our word tonight. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Amen? Now, this is for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what Paul has said to us here. Have this attitude in Yourselves, which was also in Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to be of the same mind. Help us as a church to maintain our love for one another. Help us to be united in spirit. Help us to be intent on one purpose. Forgive us, Lord, when we do things out of selfishness and empty pride. And now I pray, Lord, that You would help us, that we would be humble in mind and regard everyone else as more important than ourselves and look out for those, our brothers and sisters, and their spiritual condition so that we might pray for them, encourage them, and help them when they have gone into the fire, gone off the side, lost their way, gone into despair, wherever they find themselves. May Jesus be honored and glorified through our church as we do this and live in humble-mindedness and unity together to advance the gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. Good to see you. We made it. Only two minutes over.